0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. In this segment, we are featuring Mr. Jim DiEugenio from Los Angeles. Hello, Jim.
1: Good evening, Len.
0: Good evening. It is almost 60 years since JFK has been assassinated. They still won't release the files. We know they're hiding something. And week after week, we go through and find people who are authors, filmmakers, uh, people who run websites... Uh, you know such as yourself with Kennedy and King we're slowly chipping away to find out what does the truth lie in and in that journey we learn a little bit about how the world works what you know what authors and things we should trust and what who that we shouldn't trust mural will be speaking coming up next week I guess it is right?
1: Yeah, you want to talk about uh, the the banquet in Dallas first, right? Right,
0: okay, sure. All right. The JFK Continuing Inquiry, which is hosted by Chris Gallup. He has a lunch, and he's been doing it for several years. He was going to be on, but something popped up, and he just was unavailable, so I want to make sure that I promoted it. It's all the 11th annual. The 11th annual luncheon symposium he has. And always very good speakers, and I've... Just only heard good things about it. Uh, the time is—I'll make a link to this—but it's Wednesday, next Wednesday, the uh, November fifteenth, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Lone Star Garden, 3132 Milam Street, Fort Worth, Texas. So in Fort Worth, Texas, that includes a catered lunch and the speakers include so everything is $65. The speakers are Gary Shaw, Jay Gary Shaw. I think people are familiar with him, first-generation researcher. Mr. Brian Edwards, who's spoken at many things you've attended. In fact, he was interviewed for the Oliver Stone thing, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was on that movie. Right,
0: yes. Brian Edwards, former police officer. Jeff Meek, JFK Files, he's been on here. Mr. Robert Groden. people are well aware of him. And also Randy Benson, writer, producer, director of The Searchers, filmmaker, he's been on. And Dr. Michael Markades, of course, he's the son of... That's Wilson. the son of... yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Of Rose Cherem and,
0: and his book was called "Gathering Fallen Petals,"
1: right? Yes, and that's actually a pretty good book.
0: Yeah, kind of a, a tribute to his mother. Yeah, his.
1: it's 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 well, it's a very comprehensive book about the whole Rose Cheremey story. Right, and he takes it like cause nobody else did because that was he was late. He was that was his mother. He takes it really from the beginning to the end. Okay.
0: Okay, so if there's any questions, please email Chris Gallop, and I'll put his email. Yeah, you can uh well just contact Chris. You still have a couple of days. These are these are very worthwhile if you're in the Fort Worth area. So it is his eleventh annual continuing inquiry luncheon symposium. The date Wednesday, November fifteenth, twenty twenty three. All right. So we hope we encourage anyone who is sitting on the fence to go attend us on next Wednesday. Okay. Now tell me what you have as news items of interest.
1: Okay. I have three announcements that I wanted to make. First of all, this will be the last notice about my address that I'm going to make at the Mercantile Library in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, and that's going to be on the 14th, Tuesday at 6 p.m. And the Mercantile Library is at 414 Walnut Street, the 11th floor in Cincinnati. And I think there's a nominal fee. Okay, that should be good. Matt Crumpton, who is a co-author with me on this new book that's coming out, D.J. of K Assassination Holds, uh, he's going to be introducing me at that uh, at at that function. Okay, so that should be an interesting night. If you're in the area, bring your friends, etc. Now, of course, the day after that, me and Matt will be driving to Pittsburgh because that's going to be the 60th anniversary conference at duquesne sponsored by cyril and ben wecht you know and there's going to be a terrific roster of speakers there in addition to myself there'll be of course cyril who always gives a wonderful speech uh i think bill simpich will be there i think gary aguilar will be there alec baldwin will be there rob reiner will be there i think by zoom and david talbot will be there so that's going to be a, a really, really good conference. And my topic is going to be the death of JFK and the rise of the neocons. And, you know, the more I got into this, the connections there are, you know, I've been working on this for about a month and a half. And I'm, again, it really shocks me that nobody else uncovers it well that's because i don't think anybody really delved into jfk's foreign policy before i did in in a really large expansive way but this is this is going to be so so interesting and i believe i'll be speaking on the 17th okay now let me make a third announcement the widow of gate and fonzie got in contact with me a few days ago and she wants me to try and find a Library, in order to store his papers at, because Gayton said before he died, for whatever reason he didn't trust Baylor. So, if anybody can think of another repository for Gayton Fonzie's papers, please email Len or email me at Kennedy's and King. Okay, because I think it's important to get his papers into some kind of repository that people can refer to them. There's no doubt he was a very, very important researcher and writer on the JFK case. One place I might think of is Hood College, where Weisberg and Sylvia Mars papers are at. But I'd like to know, I'd like to give her like two or three alternatives. So please let me know if you can think of a good place that would be a nice resting place for Fonzie's papers. Okay? So... Those are the three announcements that I wanted to make. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and a repository for Gaten. Now, I'm always, literally, always getting these letters. All right. October the 31st, Derek. And I think Derek has emailed me before. And this one is a long one, which I'll try and compress. I just read about Landis saying he, he found a bullet... On top of the JFK limo seat. And also it was lodged in a crevice or something in the Vanity Fair article. All right. I don't have to tell anybody with this. By the way, Landis will be at the Pittsburgh conference. Okay. Let me also add, Vince Palomera has a review of Landis's book called The Final Witness up at Kenny's and King. His was very critical. So we balanced that off with Jeff Morley and Larry Schnapp. Interviewing Paul Landis, uh, I believe by Zoom. So we have a written and we have an oral article about right, Jim, Paul Landis. But
0: just for like one minute, for people who aren't familiar with him, just just give us a brief.
1: Oh, the background. guy made he made such a publicity splash. I thought everybody would know about. Well,
0: this. no, I I know you'll be able to add some insight.
1: He is the only guy I've ever seen who got positive articles in Vanity Fair and the New York Times within two days of each other. That is, and he, apparently he doesn't know he's promoting a conspiracy. So he is a Secret Service agent who says that he found a bullet in the back of the limousine because he was helping Jackie Kennedy out. He didn't think very much of it, so he said he went into Parkland Hospital and he deposited it on, on Kennedy's uh, gurney. And he just forgot about it and or he either forgot about it or he felt that there was pressure to go along with the whole three bullet scenario. So he didn't really ponder what he had done until somebody gave him Tink Thompson's book many, many, many years later. And that's when he first started to mention this thing. And now he's written a book. And like I said, amazing He got an article on Vanity Fair and one in the New York Times, and they were both rather positive. So this created a real, like Bobby Kennedy, for example, Bobby Kennedy Jr. tweeted out the magic bullet theory is dead, you know, when he read this story in the Times. Okay, so Derek begins his letter. I read about Landis saying he found a bullet on top of the JFK limo seat and also was lodged in a crevice or something in the Vanity Fair article. The official story is, a bullet hit JFK in the upper back, came out his throat, went into Conley, and then was found pristine, having gone through a rib, wrist, and into his thigh. That's correct. Did another shot hit and exploded Kennedy's head? That's correct. At some point, a bullet missed and chipped a piece of curb, on the tag hit that is correct that's three bullets plus the landis bullet that's correct according to landis and but you're leaving out the randy robertson bullet that's in jfk destiny betrayed okay so that's really five all this in 5 to 6 seconds well the official story is about you know about 6 seconds yes did not hear many ear witnesses say two shots seemed to come nearly simultaneously that's true also there was a first shot, and then there were two rapid shots almost next to each other. Do you think that's just hearing an echo on one shot? Well, this is what I believe happened. See, and the thing is, if you're always limited by the one commission, you never get out of that cocoon. I believe that there were silenced rifles that were used. The CIA had these things back then, and Mitch, you can read about them as they were designed by Mitch Warbell, okay? And, and I think that's in um, Jim Hogan's book, Spooks. And also Carol, Carol Hewitt wrote a very nice article about this in which she even had a diagram that I think Warbell had drawn showing how his suppressor, that's what he called it, how his suppressor system would work, okay? And how exactly what we hear in Dealey Plaza would be the result people would think it was an echo okay all right because you would you you would get both the pop of the gun and breaking of the sound barrier and you know however small that might sound okay but then with the suppressor system on you wouldn't be able to hear the other shots okay you would think they came from somewhere else Okay, and so this this is what I believe happened. I believe that they were, these are professionals, and they were using Mitch Rebell's silenced rifles. He actually, by the way, he actually called them directionally silenced rifles. All right, Conley said a flurry of bullets came in. That's also true, well, too. J said he didn't buy the Warren Commission findings in one of his last, or his, Well, what he said is he alluded to Cronkite that Oswald was a really interesting person. So that's as far as he was willing to go. And by the way, he didn't even want that broadcast. I read a bit of your clarifying that the story was not told by bike cop Baker at first, that he saw Oswald in the lunchroom. This was in relation to the prayer man figure in the shadows in the front of the Texas School Book Depository, watching the motorcade. Well, what I said was, in his first day affidavit, Baker talked about a guy he encountered on a third or fourth floor, okay? He didn't talk about going into the uh, second floor, whatever you want to call that. It was a little tiny uh, lunchroom, whatever you want to call it, and you could buy sodas there. And then, afterwards... He was in a witness room when he was making out his affidavit, and he didn't recognize Oswald. All right. A guy like Oswald, who was into politics, would definitely be watching this thing on his doorstep. I agree. I read that Gary Hemming had told Oswald to bring a rifle to work that he might consider buying. Did you ever read that, and you think there's any logic? Hemming told so many stories that I, I don't even know where to begin. OK, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put much stock in him. Do you believe David Morales was right there watching in front of the TSPD? No, I don't. George W. Bush. No, I don't. After the shooting, there's some photos say it's Landale has the ring posture verified by someone who knew him. And he's walking away from the camera as the tramps are coming towards the camera. Yes. Fletcher Prouty. And didn't Krulak say that he agreed with that? Yeah, Victor Krulak even added more to it, and he put it in writing. Didn't Lansdale's wife also agree with that?
0: Yes, as well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, But, you know, here's the thing. They don't really say, what was he doing? I mean, you just go, okay, he's there. Now, it's very strange that on the day that a president is killed and, and a change of government, Lansdale is there, and he, I think his specialty really was cover stories and that so he was you know if you want to speculate there to make sure that whatever was supposed to happen happened because of so many failures I feel that you know in in Miami you know the all the other attempts even the Chicago plot you know just so many things had failed it I think they finally said listen we got to get this done just make sure that everything's in place and I don't think that he's, you know, pulled the trigger or anything. But, you know, there there's certain people, that's what their jobs are. And when uh, cover stories
1: are made, patsies are set up. And Was there also some quote that Demorgen said laughingly that Oswald never got his payment, as in Lee was being told to do a hit, and that was to make him a fall guy? Uh, I don't think it was actually, I don't think George actually went that far. I think he said something more like, How did you miss Lee? And this was involving the Walker shooting. That's what I think was said. Is Judy Baker logical believe when she said there was a plan to escape with Lee to Mexico? I read her writing in a blurb that she thought Lee did shoot and just missed on purpose. It seems Lee was not anywhere near the sixth floor. Well, I really don't care to talk about Judy Baker for reasons I've You know referred to earlier and I agree with you Oswald was not on the sixth floor all right and I think uh, I think there's very strong evidence for that the secretaries on the fourth floor all right what do you make of Jim Rothstein saying Sturgis confessed and that Liddy and or Hunt shot Tippett or JFK in addition to Sturgis I don't think anything of it because I don't think it's true. All right. There's a woman who said her father was a photographer. He's the guy in the pea coat, heading to the right in the film of the Pergola and Dealey. And he was a fire scene photographer and actually been a World War Two Pacific Outpost briefly with JFK. Something about sailors going out to the edge of the dock and using it as a toilet, whatever. She's in a phone film school talk, has the jacket that her father led her away from the house and told her of all this. I've never heard of that. Have you ever heard that story? No, I haven't. No, I I can't talk about it because I never heard that story before. It seems perfectly ghoulish of whoever was like paying for the shooting from the front side and or TSBD, Daltex, to want to record it. But I have no clue if it's true. The woman seemed to believe that she was telling the class. It's, well, again, I've never seen that. It seems multiple slugs were dug out, picked up from the grass meridian, the median, to the driver's left. So it seems the official story now has to say four shots, right? We're never going to know about that. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Barrett picture shows that there was something picked up there, and I think Buddy Walters went along with that. And I think Al Maddox said that it was also true, okay, that there was a bullet taking out of the grass.
0: Right. So right. there's one.
1: There's also. There the, was also the uh,
0: the bullet that hits the curb right. and then bounced up and gets tag on the cheek. So there's right. the second one. And then if you count the three or four
1: in the car. And there's also the one that Randy Robertson talks about in our film, okay, with James Young. That's very credible, I think. And there's also the fact that Twyman found the documents that said, I think it was either, I think it was a shell. And that was found in the, by the FBI right in the vicinity of Dealey Plaza. But it was not from a Mannlicher Carcano. It was, what's the German rifle that they found that day? The Mauser? Mauser. It was, it was a Mauser shell. So, you know, there are plentiful evidence that there was <laughs> extra bullets there okay uh, i know you don't like to speculate and you speak on proven evidence but at least the official or sensible accounting of number of slugs should have an agreed upon minimum right yes there should be a minimum if you believe the official story which i don't no official word from officialdom on the basic facts of how many shots were fired but they say, well, the Warren Commission is going to say three shots because there were only three shells found at the scene of the crime. All right. You know, or that's what they say at least. There's also a video on the YouTube. Looks like it was shot in the 90s of another nurse said she was at Parkland. A friend found a slug and gave it to her. She holds it up for a second. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. Wow. Well, Derek, please send that to me because I don't think I've ever seen that either. Okay. The nurse who said she was crammed up by the wall in trauma room one near the head of JFK said a bullet was lying perpendicular by the ear. Yeah, that's true. That's something I have heard. Wouldn't she have seen the guy Landis put it there? Well, maybe, maybe not. Or recalled everyone else in the room reacting to it. Like, hey, what is that? A clean bullet? A bloody bullet? What about the other one on Conley's stretcher near his thigh? Sorry for the flurry of questions. All right, the the one about Conley, that's very interesting. Okay, what's his name? Harris? A guy named Harris. I can't remember his first name now. But he wrote a very interesting article for us about the bullet that fell off the Conley stretcher. Bob Harris, that's his name. Okay, just look it up under the Conley bullet. And that's a very... He did a lot of really good work on that. Okay? And and it's important... It's important... Because one of the things that Vincent Bugliosi said in his book... Is that there were not extra bullets or slugs or shells found. When in fact there were. Okay? There were. There was no real accounting by the FBI on this issue. Okay? and Which is par for the course for them on this case. So anyway... That's Derek. Thank you, sir. This is from Zakir Kabria, and he lives in Bangladesh. And I think this is a first from Bangladesh, Len. Okay. (laughs) All right. Dear James, greetings from Bangladesh. I have been following your work for some years. In younger times, it was probably like an obsession. Then I realized trying to understand 1963 was also about understanding democracy. Or the myth we in global south were indoctrinated through Western media. After the Ukraine crisis, the Ukraine crisis, I delved deep into CIA-facilitated Ukraine insurgency against the Soviet Union in the 1950s through the Galen organization. Then I noticed the Galen commander was sent to Miami Station while he was still a German citizen. Then I noticed in Haratz, that's a magazine that being published out of Israel that the CIA officer reading Oswald's Meals was Jewish. I think that's true. I think Jeff Morley talked about that. Then I think about JFK and RFK and their opposition to Israel acquiring nuclear weapons. It, if it's far, far-fetched, far you think it was Israelis, along many other sinister elements, wanted JFK gone. With JFK in office until 1968, there was no chance Israel could acquire nuclear weapons. Has anyone looked into the Israeli angle? Okay. And yeah, there's Michael Collins Piper and his book, which I think is called Final Judgment. All right. Which I disagreed with. He always wanted to talk to me, by the way, before he passed away. He died rather young. I think it was like 56 or something. He always said, if I could just have in a half an hour with Jim D. Genio. Well, I read his book and I didn't find it very convincing. Now, it's not like there is no angle there. There is an angle there. They're very interesting what Kennedy was trying to do in the Middle East and his, his attempt to do something that I don't think anybody had ever done before and I don't think anybody's done since, but his attempt to befriend Gamal Abdel Nasser and have him a very friendly relationship through Nasser. because he thought Nasser could westernize the Middle East. And that is not an uncalled-for assumption. This is one of the things I'll be talking about in Pittsburgh, by the way, for about the last 15 minutes, how I believe the 1967 war would have never occurred if J.K. had lived. And that obviously would have changed the whole face of the Middle East. Lastly, from a distance, being far away, I often feel too much focus on CIA limits possibilities To unpack far deeper elements. In my understanding, CIA and national security systems were used, but isn't in the case that CIA, OSS, and predecessor systems were protecting American oligarchs' interests for many decades? Well, that's true. That's true. Anybody who studied the CIA for a while understands how they served the wishes of the upper class. Then who gave the green light to go ahead? Didn't Dulles serve his masters throughout his career? Yes, that's true. Alan Dulles was very beholden to Wall Street and especially the Rockefeller clan. Now, as far as who gave the green light, that's an interesting question, you know, because to be perfectly frank, I don't believe Dulles, although I think he was a major player in the conspiracy, I don't think he would have gone ahead with this unless he had some kind of clearance from above. Because they needed the media. They needed the media to go along with it. And so I think that's what Dulles would have wanted out of the whole CFR crowd. He would want to be sure that they would use their influence in order to go along with the cover story. P.S. Gerald Ford and Nelson Rockefeller in the White House fascinates me. How come Americans didn't notice the fact that at one point in history... America is ruled by a president and vice president who were both unelected. Wasn't it a more efficient coup than November 63? Of course, it was made possible because November 1963 happened. Then I see Ford had an aircraft carrier named after him. That's true, by the way. Strange because he was a failed president in every possible way. That's true also. Yet security elements honored him by naming the carrier after him. Yes, that's, that's all rather odd if you ask me. Okay. Did they name an aircraft carrier under, after Jimmy Carter? <laughs> thank you for your work. Well, thank you, too. Okay, thanks for the letter. Okay, Len, I think we're just about all caught up. Let's give, me, give you a couple of previews. Number one, Jeff Carter has his third installment on Fletcher Prouty. Coming up, he showed me the rough draft. Looks interesting. It's basically about Vietnam. And the JFK assassination show colds, that book is available on pre-order. I think it starts shipping on the 14th. And that's one that I think you're going to have Paul blow on, right? To talk about that one, right?
0: And a few people, maybe Mark Demzik.
1: Mark, uh, yeah, Mark would be good. Yeah. Okay. And you've, and, and, and what's his name, Mr. Eiler? Yeah, out of right. Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, those are three other com- contributors along with Matt Crumpton and myself. And it's 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 a pretty distinguished book, I think. And I would say that even if I wasn't a contributor, in fact I'm only a minor contributor. I wrote maybe 15 to 20% of that book, a couple of chapters and part of the conclusion. Okay, it was, most of it was written by Paul and Matt Crumpton. Okay. All right. Okay, so that brings us up to date, my friend. All right, good.
0: Uh, so on the, uh, we'll talk to you after your conferences that you've been to and uh, give us a report on that.
1: And, um, my uh, pleasure.
0: Wrapping up. Okay, thank you very much for sharing your time again. And uh, I'll just mention also that the uh, the Chris Gallup Continuum inquiry, his eleventh annual luncheon symposium, uh, eleven a.m. to six p.m. On November 15th. And I'll leave the email in the show notes here. All right, then. Uh, Thank you very much, Jim. And we'll be in touch.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Okay,
0: bye.